through 6. And if you are going to use the red pew Bibles in front of you, it is page number 977. And it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. With all humanity and great gentleness, with patience, being with one another in love, eager to manity, uh, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. For there is only one body, one spirit which we are called to one hope that belongs to your call. For one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, of all things, and over all, and through all, and in all. The number seven in scripture is a number associated with God and mentioned throughout the Bible. Let's look at some examples real quick. God created the world in seven days, Genesis chapter one. Israel was told to march around Jericho for seven days, Joshua chapter six. Naaman was told to dip seven times in the Jordan River to heal him, Second Kings chapter five. Proverbs chapter 6 mentions a list of seven things that the Lord hates. Jesus spoke seven times from the cross, and the book of Revelation was written to seven congregations in Asia Minor. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Tonight, each lesson will be a list of seven, um, seven points about princip the principles found in God's Word. For our first lesson tonight... Open your Bible to the book of Ephesians, and we'll be looking at chapters 2, 4, and 5. The book of Ephesians gives us seven passages describing how every Christian is to walk. Consider these seven passages with me for a moment. First off, we are not to walk in trespasses and sins. Look at Ephesians 2, chapters, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which one of you walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We used to live in sin, but when we became Christians, we gave that up and decided to walk in a different direction. When a student graduates from high school, they walk across the stage and they get their diploma. And what most people think is that they're done with high school and that everything is behind them now. It would be really strange for that same kid to go back and repeat his whole college or high school career and start as a freshman again. In the same way, if a Christian goes back and tries to keep walking in sinful ways, it's not pleasing to God. Second, we are to walk in good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are all his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every Christian was saved so that we could walk in good works. You have no more of a Christian without good works than, you, than can you have a springtime without flowers. Christians are given the wonderful task 
of bringing God's goodness into the world wherever they go. Doing good works is a lifestyle that every Christian must embrace because that is what God wants us to do and something that we should strive for every day. Third, we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4, 1. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The Bible then goes on to explain what walking in a worthy manner looks like. If you look down just a verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. With all human humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We walk in a worthy manner when we walk humbly in our dealings with others. Virtues like faith, hope, and love are fairly easy to fake, but it is impossible to fake humility. Think about it. Someone can tell you that they're humble, but saying something and actually doing it are two completely different things. Fourth tonight, we're gonna, we are not to walk in the futility of our minds. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The promises the world's ma- th- this world makes are attractive, but in the end are ultimately empty. We'll never find lasting joy in money, fame, power, or achievement. To pursue those things without God is, is to walk in the futility of our minds. We need to walk with our Lord as our treasures are stored up in heaven with him. Fifth tonight, we are to walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love is an essential motivation for all that we do. The Bible says, let everything you do be done in love. 1 Corinthians 16:14. Love for God and our neighbors is the greatest command. We can see that in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all on the law d- depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is telling us that these commandments are very important and we need to follow these each and every day of our lives. The fruit of the spirit is love. Galatians 5:22. If we are not walking in love, then we can't really say that we've truly ever walked with Christ. Sixth tonight, we are to walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Whoever follows Christ does not walk in darkness. We are to live in such a way that we shine as lights in the dark world. Philippians 2:15. God saved us so that we could light up the darkness all around us and spread the light with anyone and everyone we are able to. Seventh and finally tonight, we are to walk wisely. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
We walk wisely when we think about where we're headed. Where will your present course lead you? We walk wisely, wisely when we make an effective use of the time that God has given us. We walk wisely when we remember that God will hold us accountable for how we spend our days on this earth. People walk everywhere, every day, whether it's to the park, to work, to school, or home, or to home. However, as Christians, we really need to look at the ways that we are walking in our spiritual lives and ask, where are your feet taking you? Good evening. Many things in life are uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, we don't know how long we'll live, and we don't know when the Lord will return. But some things in this life are guaranteed. That in mind, we'll now consider seven guarantees from our Lord. The first guarantee we'll look at tonight is that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Many doubt the necessity of baptism, or they doubt that it's necessary at all. But if we are to find and achieve salvation, we must heed the simple, plain, clear words of Christ to be baptized. Jesus connects baptism to the new birth, and he also connects baptism to becoming a disciple. And finally, he also connects it to salvation in Mark 16, verse 16. We would do well if we put away our arguments and obeyed the commands of Jesus. In doing so, not only are we pleasing to God, but we cement our life in eternity with him. Number two tonight, you will reap what you sow. Galatians 6-7 reads, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Everybody's a sower. We are all sowing seeds in our lives, whether they're good or bad. So, if we are to be wise, we need to pay careful attention to the kinds of seeds we are sowing. Because every seed does produce after its kind. If we sow hatred and bitterness, then we will reap hatred and bitterness in abundance. But on the other hand, if we sow seeds of peace and kindness, then we will reap peace and kindness. We will produce a good harvest. We are guaranteed to reap what we sow. Because this is true, we must sow seeds pleasing to God. <clears throat> Third tonight, God hears us when we pray. 1 John 5, 5 verse 14 reads, And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This passage indicates to us the need to think about God's will, especially when it comes to our prayer life. If God says he wants the lost to hear and, be, and find the gospel and find salvation, then we ought to pray for the lost. If God says he wants us to grow in Christ, then we ought to pray for our growth as Christians. And if God says he wants us to be forgiven of our sins, then we, then we ought to go in prayer and ask for him about that. If we are to truly pray without ceasing, we must come to God in prayer with whatever concerns we have in life, because that is what he wants us to do. Not only will God hear us when, he pray, when we pray, God will also take care of our physical needs. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus tells us not to worry about the things of this world, like what we'll eat, or what we'll drink, or what we'll wear, as most people do. Rather, he points to the sparrow and says, Your heavenly Father feeds them. 
And he gives the example of the lilies, the lilies of the field and says, your heavenly father clothes them. Clearly, if God is able to care for the animals and plants of this world, he will be much more able and much more willing to care for us, the ones he made in, the ones he made in his own image. The point of the Lord's words is that we emphasize the kingdom of God in our lives and his righteousness because he has already given us and taken care of the needs that we need to do his work. Fifth tonight, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This passage should bring us all a great deal of comfort because we can see that we don't have to sin. Sin is not inevitable in the face of temptation. There is always a way out of temptation if we just look for it and pursue it. Just as every temptation is an opportunity to do evil, so also every temptation is an opportunity to do good. Another guarantee is that God is always with us. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. With God, we can always be content with what we have because we have him. If we have God with us and for us and in us, what do we have against us? What do we have to fear? True contentment and peace will only be ours when we truly believe, when we truly know and trust that God means what he says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The last guarantee we'll look at tonight is that Jesus is coming again to judge this world. Acts 17 verse 31 says, God has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. By raising him from the dead. When Jesus ascended, the angel said, This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Acts 1.11 Then Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Some may look at this promise and disregard it, or ignore it, or they may even reject it. But God has set the future in stone. Jesus will return. So many things in our lives are uncertain, but God has set forth many guarantees in our, in our lives as well. It is up to us, though, to trust and have faith in him. Do you believe that God's words and promises are guaranteed? Centuries ago, in the land of Israel, there lived a man like no other. This man, from a young age, was found in the temple and in the synagogues, discussing religion with the wisest and smartest of the Jewish religious leaders. He had the ability to raise people from the dead and even walk on the water. He claimed to be the prophesied Messiah, and the Jews hated him for it. They arrested him, put him on trial, and executed him for something he did not do. However, 
After three days, he rose again and returned to heaven, leaving behind disciples to teach his message to all men. Truly, there is never a man like Jesus Christ. If you, were, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to John, the book of John. We'll be starting in John chapter 6. The Gospel of John contains seven I am statements that Jesus said about himself. Think with me for a few minutes about the seven truths that prove Jesus' uniqueness. The first I am statement that Jesus said in the book of John is, I am the bread of life, John 6, verse 48. Jesus said that physical bread satisfies only temporarily, but that the bread of life could satisfy completely. John 6, verse 27 says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Just as physical bread is absolutely necessary to keep on living, so Jesus, the bread of life, is absolutely necessary if we are to have eternal life. We need to come to Jesus and obey his teachings. If we do that, we will partake in the bread of life. The second I am statement that Jesus makes in the book of John is, I am the light of the world, John 8, verse 12. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this passage, think about the following. There is only one light, Jesus, who can show us the way to be right with God. The nature of Jesus is light. In him there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, verse 5. Jesus is the light of the entire world. Every nation, tribe, and culture can learn from him and be blessed in him. The world has only one light, and he is the one we should allow to show us how we can have a relationship with God. The third I am statement that Jesus made in the book of John is, I am the door, John 10, verse 9. In John 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So what does this mean? One author who studied ancient shepherding said, This is a perfect picture of shepherds who literally become the living door for the sheepfold. They sheepfold. They curl up in the door or in the entrance of a cave. They put their bodies between the sleeping sheep and the ravenous animals or thieves. So Jesus protects and guards his sheep. He puts himself between them and dangers that would destroy them. We ought to be thankful for Jesus, the door, who lets us into God's sheepfold and provides guidance and protection for us. The fourth I am statement that Jesus makes in the book of John is, I am the good shepherd, John 10 verse 11. In John 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. While Jesus is certainly the good shepherd because he cares about us and leads us, listen very carefully again to his words. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The reason Jesus is the good shepherd is because he lays down his life for the sheep. The fifth I am statement that Jesus makes in the book of John is, I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, verse 25. In John 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. This is an amazing statement. 
consider the following two applications. First, we should understand that Jesus brings life to those who are spiritually dead, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2. Second, we should believe that Jesus will one day raise both the wicked and the just from the dead, John 5, verses 28 through 29. The sixth I am statement that Jesus makes in the book of John is, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, verse 6. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you break this sentence into three ideas, you'll notice the following. First, Jesus provides a way to God. There is no other way to salvation than through him, Acts 4, verse 12. Second, Jesus demonstrates the truth of God. Those who saw Jesus in person and heard his teaching said that he was full of grace and truth, John 1, verse 14. Jesus, third, Jesus brings us into a life with God. God invites everyone to come to him through the blood of his Son. Jesus made a way, showed us the truth, and offers a new life to those who desire it. The final I am statement that Jesus makes in the book of John is, I am the true vine, John 15, verse 5. Finally, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. When we become Christians, we become branches connected to Jesus, the true vine, the fruit we bear in our lives comes from listening to his teachings and obeying his words. Just like an orange tree does its job when it bears fruit, so also Christians are showing their relationship to Jesus when they bear fruit because of him. Jesus is truly the most unique person who ever lived. Will you make the decision to believe in him, repent of your sins, and be baptized tonight? If so, please come forward while together we stand and while we sing.